0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Gray Malkin Lane podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. This particular recording tonight I have been excited about for days and days, weeks and weeks as we have assembled uh, some people who I find delightful and charming and wonderful who don't know each other but I know all of them so I'm, uh, I'm super excited to record with these three new friends. Now, in our recent episodes, we've been getting into, we just kind of finished up with the Larry Trask storyline. As a quick recap, Bolivar Trask designed the Sentinels, even though he's an anthropologist, but you know, And uh, he dies at the end of that arc. Then later, Roy Thomas, Neil Adams, tell us the story of his son, Larry, relaunching the Sentinels. But it turns out he's actually a mutant who's been wearing this crazy necklace his dad gave him to block his powers. He can see into the future. Uh, We finish that storyline. It picks up in the Avengers later. We'll get to that on the podcast eventually. But today, we're going to take a step forward into the future and also the past, because comic books (laughs) we're going to be reviewing a book from the uh, late 90s. It's Uncanny X-Men Minus One. This is a month where Marvel, in all of their titles, did what they called Flashback Month. And all of their titles had a Minus One issue that was set before the very first issue. So we're going to go back into the Larry Trask storyline and get crazy lost in time travel and the Summers family nonsense today as we delve in. This is an issue uh, called The Boy Who Saw Tomorrow, but we'll get there in a few minutes. First, I would like to uh, welcome my three esteemed and wonderful guests. Uh, I'll let you each introduce yourselves, let us know your gender pronouns, where we might know you from, and the question I have for everybody jumping in today is let us know just a nonsense, convoluted continuity story from any media that you can think of and would like to share with us today. Uh, let's start with uh, our, our first time guest today, uh, Mr. Andrew And How are you, Andrew?
1: Hey, what's up? Uh, I'm doing good. This is my first time on the show. It's also the first podcast I've ever been on. <gasps> so I know <laughs> I'm a virgin, guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll be gentle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, Andrew, tell us uh, tell us your gender pronouns, where we might know you from, and uh, and some of your uh, your crazy your crazy continuity story. Uh, so I am uh, Andrew. I'm a he
1: him, and uh, I come from the Philippines. I'm a comics creator from the Philippines who's now based in New York. Um, I wrote and drew a book called Kare, Kare Comics, which is uh, which won a National Book Award in 2016, and I just released a new book called Secret Heart Attack. Um, yeah, this month. And it's, it's been pretty awesome to have sort of that experience of self-publishing and putting my work out
2: there.
0: Uh, uh, I got to meet Andrew at FlameCon, and I was immediately taken by just the light that you generate. You are so joyful. And following you on social media since then has only reconfirmed that. You're just an absolute delight. I'm so excited to have you on today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what's um, your
0: what's your crazy continuity story? Crazy
1: continuity story would be uh, my One of my favorites and go-tos would be Chuck Austin's run on Uncanny X-Men. All of it was wild with Nurse Annie and um, (laughs) Angel and um, the crazy shifts in art. But my favorite bit was when they revealed Nightcrawler's father, which turned out to not be Sabretooth. It turned out to be a demon named Azazel from some demon dimension who was impregnating women across the world in order to generate portals so he could escape from his demon dimension. But the the weird logic of this was that how was he impregnating all those women in order to return to Earth if he couldn't go to Earth in the first place? Um, yeah, that was a, that was probably my favorite storyline. I'm i still trying to pick it apart in my head, but it doesn't quite work. Uh,
0: I have excellent news for you. Uh, we're mm-hmm. recording this on October 18th. I just interviewed Chuck Austin two weeks ago. <gasps> and October <laughs> on October 29th, uh, I'm releasing that episode. And I talked to him all about this story, this a uh, crazy story about Azazel and Nightcrawler. And he will help you make sense of it. Oh, thank God. So thank God. Tune in. <laughs> and Chuck Austin's a lovely human. He was <laughs> wonderful. So make sure you make sure you check it out. Uh, let's go to our uh, returning guest, Mr. Juan Ponce, next. I haven't seen Juan in almost a year on the podcast. Juan, how are you? It's so good to see you.
2: I'm doing good, Chad. Nice to see you, too. Uh, my name is Juan Ponce, and I am uh, I go by he, him. And um, oh, you might know me from uh, Marvel Voices, uh, Infinity, uh, issues 12 through 17, and also from Voices, Comunidades, from uh, last year. Uh, I wrote the America Chavez story arc. It's so good,
0: and I can't wait to talk to you about it a little (laughs) bit. Uh, Can you think of a crazy, convoluted continuity story?
2: Uh, You know, at first I thought I didn't have it, but I remember the show, actually, but I don't remember the title of the show. 1973, maybe it was called. It was a cop procedural. Uh, 78, something 70. All I know is based off of a British uh, detective show, and it, it was great. It um, it it was like it followed like the this detective like during a very turbulent time in American history, like right out of the '60s, and then they got canceled. So they tried to have their cake and eat it and do like a series finale without any buildup. And it turns <laughs> out it was all like a, a simulation in the far future, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and. and but we saw different characters' perspectives, but it was just in a simulation for one of the cops. I don't, I still can't figure it out. Like, yeah, it was a great show with like the mind boggling ending.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. I am sorry I missed it, question mark. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then I am
0: thrilled to welcome back my uh, favorite drag queen, uh, the inestimable uh, Madam motherfucking Demanda Martini Sanctity herself. Welcome Demanda, how are you?
3: Hello, hi. I'm Amanda Martini. Uh, I use she/her pronouns, and um, you might know me just from like, uh, for people listening again, I've been on the show a few times. Just X Twitter in general. Um, I I kind of run in that circle of the X Men Twitter slash Instagram Facebook universe. Um, I'm also a DC area, Washington DC. Area, uh, bass drag performer, cosplayer, uh, theater person, you know, all, all the slashes, all the hyphens. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I was trying because I love a good, stupid, like, convoluted thing. Again, some of my favorite characters are like Jean Gray, Rachel Summers. Like, I love some nonsense. So, still, still convoluted, but not like retconny. Connie. I have to say, if you have not... So I haven't watched probably since maybe season three or four. Again, they all kind of run together because we binge them during lockdown times. But Riverdale (laughs) is a wild (laughs) fucking ride. So, like, the show starts out very kind of normal dark teen drama where there's, like, a murder and they have to solve it. Very, very, like normal dark teen stuff, right? Then season two gets into, there's a serial killer on the loose. Then in season three, we all join the mob. Then in season four, uh, so, so yeah, so I, I must have seen up to season four, there's like a cult and uh, Archie now fights in an underground illegal underage fight club. And when he escapes, he goes to the woods, gets mauled by a bear, and then his name gets cleared. He comes back to school. And then I swear to God, because me and my friend, we we have very strict drinking rules in our house. Where if something gets crazy, we have to pause and let's just take a shot. And I just <laughs> said, I said because so he goes back to school. It's like his first day back to school in like, I don't know, two and a half years now. And I was like, he's gonna ask about either prom or like the SATs or something. And he says at that moment, oh my gosh, the PSATs are next week. I guess I better study. For those of you who don't know what the PSATs are, so the SATs are like a standardized test to help you get into college. He was worried about the PSATs, which are the practice PSATs. And I'm like, bitch, you just survived a bear attack and an underground thing. And you got out of the mob and your friend." And they keep on putting up musicals, but someone always gets murdered, like, opening night in the musicals. And I'm like, this entire show is so wild. So, I, I have, again, I haven't watched in a few seasons now, but apparently they got into more of, like, the supernatural, and people are like witches, and time travel. So, so I, want, of- I wanted to ask about that, because I just saw an article on season five, and...
1: <laughs> It said, like, we're in the 1950s and somehow everyone's time traveled there. Yes. Like, yes! What's going on with Riverdale? <laughs> so,
3: so, uh, so I have no idea. All I see is every so often there's uh, an account that I follow on Twitter that will just like live tweet an episode. And I'm like, I don't know whether or not this is satire or if this is for real what the episode <laughs> is doing. But I, so I need to like binge, like binge, like the seasons. But just from the seasons that i've watched the show is wild
0: it sounds wild
3: and the boys are very allergic to t-shirts like they just (laughs) like they just they just come right off and um listen kj appa knows what the fuck he's doing like uh, even like his social media he's like oh my gosh i better take off my shirt i'm like yes i don't understand why you own them
0: Three people in nonsense (laughs) storylines. Sounds like the Uh, X-Men. Lastly, my name is Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. I grew up with five sisters and I graduated high school in 1997. So if you picture my like 12 to 17 year old years, we're talking like 91 to 97. And we had like rules after school. I got the TV for 30 minutes and I would watch DuckTales after school. And then my sisters would watch, they they would record these on videotape while they were at school. They would watch All My Children and Then One Life to Live back to back. And because I was bored and there was nothing else, I got addicted to these soap operas for years as a teenager. And there would be storylines, like there's a character in All My Children During This Era uh, named uh, Natalie, who had like an evil twin sister who came back from the dead and like locked Natalie in a well, and then Janet got plastic surgery to take her place. And it lasted like a whole year. It was nuts. And then like... In One Life to Live, there was a character named Vicky who had like multiple personalities and like they would show up and like sometimes she'd be evil and murder people, but then not remember doing it later. Like just nonsense. So I grew up watching like healthy amounts of ridiculous soap opera, which makes the X-Men make me feel right at home.
3: <laughs> As I said, me, me and my former roommate, we, we have a very healthy rule uh, for drinking games when you're watching shows. Drink for trying to make sense. When something is so ridiculous and you're like trying to like, like figure it out, just stop, take a drink, and just enjoy it. Like, there's no <laughs> point. Just, this was long enjoy. before I was
0: drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and,
3: and, like, and like this, and like this, this issue of this comic book, just drink. Like, th- don't worry about it.
0: Just... So you guys cannot see us because we're not recording. But I'm, I'm, I'm confident, Demanda will release some photos. But she is dressed <laughs> gorgeously as Madame Sanctity, who is a bizarre kind of fringe x-men character uh
3: fringe we're talking like the end of the
0: yeah like like (laughs) z-list bottom of like no one's heard of this woman (laughs) today we're gonna get caught up in the summers slash gray slash trask families and it is a crazy continuity issue which is why we asked this question at the beginning it's very dense this is before we're even even getting into the podcast but i'm gonna give the like 32nd rule about the Summers family very quickly. So Scott and Alex Summers, their parents were kidnapped and taken to space where they had a brother harvested out of their mother named Vulcan and then her DNA was combined with the Shi'ar to create Atomex the Extreme and then Scott eventually marries Jean who becomes the Phoenix but she dies. And then he marries her clone Madeline Pryor and they have a baby who goes to the far future 2000 years. This is Nathan, who's then cloned as Strife and they both come back to the past where they meet X-Man who's another version of them from the age of Apocalypse who also lives in this realm. But while baby Nathan is in the future, another child of Scott and Jean from a different future named Rachel is helping to raise him because she's the mother Ascani. And that's all you need. It gets more complex from there. But it's a lot. There's multiple timelines. There's time travel. It's an episode of Riverdale. Just uh, stretched over fifty years of continuity. It
3: quite, quite <laughs> literally, is. Um, I did have one question though because I forgot to to look it up. Has th- did this issue come out before, or after the um, ascani son? Um, this
0: anything? is after. OK, so A-
1: Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix.
0: Yes, it's also after. We'll get into that in our review today. I'm going to review these characters' chronology and, briefly. And
3: the, and the the Rachel miniseries. I think that one was, was that one called. I can't remember what that one was called.
0: Mm, uh, that one doesn't pop into my brain immediately. So if you think of it, let me know. But we'll get into all of that. So first, I want to spend some time talking to each of our esteemed guests. Uh, Andrew, given that it's your first time on the show, let's start with you for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. Tell us your journey from the Philippines here and your kind of journey as a storyteller and artist. I think your work is wonderful. I love your art style. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your journey, my friend. Uh,
1: Wow, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. (laughs) Um, So I... I started drawing when I was four, like I've been drawing for as long as I can remember. Um, and um, I just started making comics around high school, self-publishing my own um, books. My first book was called The Germinator. It was super horrible. It was like <laughs> black and white, um, Xeroxed and then stapled. And then I begged the comic book store to sell it for me. Uh, but it was a good experience. And I kept making comics since then. Uh, most of it in uh, uh, published in the Philippines. Um, I was published in Dark Horse briefly uh, for one of the Dark Horse Presents books, uh, the one where, um, I forget the number, but Neil Gaiman was in it. That's what I remember. I was like, i the same book as Neil Gaiman. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, basically just trying to be, I was I was a newspaper cartoonist for five years in the Philippines. Uh, and that taught me a lot about like how to fulfill deadlines and stuff like that. Eventually I realized I wanted to be uh, in New York because I found this place, this school and a community of artists that I really um, vibed with. It's called the Art Students League in Manhattan. And so I ended up like moving to New York in order to study there uh, in 2016. Uh, and yeah, I've been th- I've been with them ever since. Um, I I got married last year, and I've basically um, d- decided to stay in the U.S. for good. <laughs> um, and uh, now I've uh, since I since I got a green card, I've started to pursue professional um, projects in comics, and not just like doing personal work, like you know, a YouTube channel. I started a YouTube channel over COVID. Um, and I put together this book called Secret Heart Attack, which just came out. It's kind of like an, a mix between like a cartoonist, um, autobio, like a boring, intimate cartoonist autobio mixed with the complete opposite thing for me, which is like a mainstream superhero crossover with all the superheroes from all the universes um, bashing that together into like a little book. So is your spouse also a creator? No, no. Um, he is a uh, he's a programmer and he he he's a teacher. So he doesn't really read comics. He watches all the Marvel stuff with me, and um, yeah, it's 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 interesting to go at it from like uh, from both ends, right? Because it's not his world, uh, but he's able to like. What's nice about it is I'm able to get a different perspective on the stuff. You know, being in the fan community and having read comics all my life, um, uh, we we can start to get myopic, like with all the no- the burden of knowledge that we have. And it's interesting to meet someone who doesn't have all of that and who's able to see it fresh uh, from a from a perspective that doesn't have
0: all that continuity in their head. You know. Speaking uh, speaking personally, my husband edits my podcast, but he doesn't listen to it. He supports mm-hmm. my writing, but he doesn't read it. And I actually <laughs> really love that. It's it's good for me to have that reality check at home a lot of the times. Uh, tell us a little bit, reviewing your works quickly, tell us a little bit about Care Care Comics.
1: Care uh, Care Comics is a, I mean, it's a, col- so I started in the Warren Ellis um, forums. I think it was called The Engine back then. Uh, we were just posting uh, co- our personal comics there. I got really good reception. Warren Ellis said some nice stuff about it. Matt Fraction did, so I got really encouraged um, to release more comics online. Um, it so there is. Do you remember Activate? Activate was this web comics group around the 2000s. Uh, Dean Haspiel and um, a bunch of other names. Uh, they had a sister set called the Chemistry Set, and that's where I released. Uh, most of current comics on. so they were all web comics that I collected into little book. Uh, and they they are stories uh, about uh, monsters, demons, Philippine mythology, superheroes. Uh, it's really like a big grab bag of um, I guess what interested me a lot was uh, I read a lot of prose fiction and specifically like interstitial fiction where the goal is is feeling very strange, which is where you're kind of between genres and you're not quite sure if this is like um, a realist story that's got like a weird flavor or is it a science fiction or a fantasy story. So like finding ways to circumvent an easy categorization of a story, um, I've always been interested in that. So, so my stories tend to like look um, to fill that space.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, tell us about Lines and Spaces, your Neil Gaiman award-winning book. <laughs> oh my God, I forgot about that one. Uh,
1: so they, Neil Gaiman came to the Philippines uh, and he wanted to, he, he saw a vibrant comics community there and he wanted to encourage it. So he set up this contest called uh, the Philippine Graphic Fiction Awards uh, and accepted basically short stories. And what I did was uh, I... I Created a tribute to um, classic Filipino illustrator Alex Nino, uh, and I folded in like stories from you know his history, doing like EC Comics and House of Mystery and and all that stuff into like a little story about a an artist trying to emulate his style. <laughs> um, and and it and it won it won it, it won the 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 second prize and I got to go up on stage and shake Neil Gaiman's hand and we got to have dinner with him after he looked exhausted like I felt bad for him I was like man this is such a nice guy but I feel like everyone's taking advantage of him and he just wants to go to sleep like <laughs> let him
0: rest <laughs> and then lastly you have Secret Heart Attack coming out now uh, tell us about this book and how has it been received so far uh, so it
1: just came out last week Uh, i have not had a chance to pick it up yet i'm really looking forward to it it, it's not in many places so basically this is an experiment for me because i have self-published in the philippines and i've had a publisher i've worked with publishers in the philippines i've never self-published in the u.s um so i i printed this um, um With a a print of the bad printer. I'm working through like all the financials and and learning how that works. I'm going from comic shop to comic shop here in New York. I went to Anyone Comics, Desert Island, The Strand Forbidden Planet. And basically, I'm like asking them to please carry my book. Like, here's my little book. (laughs) Check it out. Um, and it's been a really good learning experience for me. Um, I've really poured my heart and soul into it. It's got a big tribute to George Perez because the first comic I ever remember reading was Crisis on Infinite Earths. Like, I, I shit you not. I did not know who Superman or Batman were. <laughs> and they were dying. <laughs> it was like, it was chaos, like metafictional apocalypse. So that's like a big influence on me that I put into this book. Um, it's got a giant crisis going on inside it. Um the kind of mirror the crisis that the main character goes through. So uh,
0: I will connect with you after, cause I want to get a copy now that it's out. And I, speaking as someone who has self-published, I know what a grind it is to get your name out there, uh, but it's a big deal. I'm super proud of you, man. That's wonderful.
1: Yeah, it's been super fun. And I think I didn't mention this, but like I'm, I'm a big um, part of um, like the X-Men fandom online, cause I post a lot of X-Men fan art. Like I, I love all of that. So um, it's been great. Like, uh, hearing people who maybe just pick up X Men comics, like checking out this stuff, and and you know
0: reading it. <laughs> And then let's switch over to Juan for a few minutes. Juan was last on the show when we were a long time ago talking about Kukulkan, who I love, uh, in an episode, (laughs) unfortunately, titled Holocaust. Sorry about that, Juan. Okay. (laughs) It says Holocaust featuring Juan Ponce. (laughs) Uh, Juan Juan first came to my attention in Marvel Voices, and I got familiar with uh, some of his work, which we got to talk about last time, Uh, like the uh, family recipe and the karate fox, which was my personal favorite.
2: Uh, Juan has gone
0: on to do a little bit more for Marvel through the Infinity comic format. Tell us about your Ms. Marvel story and what it's been like to work in the Infinity comic format. That I know that we have talked to other writers. That's not an easy genre for people.
2: Yeah, it was um, it was a trial by fire, that's for sure. Like, know uh, <laughs> I was I, I read webtoon and. and i've also checked out some of the uh, at that time luckily i was already into the like everyone else i was into alligator loki so i already (laughs) i definitely had some experience with uh the concept but i I never made one and um they offered america chavez and i'm like okay yeah yeah i want to do this this is awesome and uh lauren amaro she was really patient with me and uh, she helped me understand it better and uh yeah i I ended up doing uh, about six issues of an Infinity comic, which is a scroll down. And uh, yeah, like, uh, I was, before this started, I, I referenced it just a bit. This America Chavez story is a, uh, it started off like a heist adventure, but it morphed into something else. Eventually it became a little bit of like a sentimental family story between Loki and America. And I also got to make like a, I would like to say like my own personal, like, three team like in um, America Chavez, Loki and um, Hildegard. And uh, th- this podcast actually came to me early on when I was working on the first two issues because uh, I got to put a zombie Nightcrawler cause we go into a zombie dimension. And in addition to that, this didn't make the final cut but it was really close and we had Hildegard just totally chop off uh cooks head which was really which was awesome
0: how that was like, yeah
2: <laughs> it was because I, ne- I, I needed those beats where i'm like okay i need i need to establish all three of these as like a super badass team and i'm like okay how do i make hilder be like a badass i'm like okay so cook server is gonna come at her as a zombie as a zombie and uh he just gets like wallop and it was it was beautiful and then i had like other x-men that were zombies and other characters but at the end. Turns out it's uh you gotta be careful with the zombies. You can't can't have too much like gruesomeness. So but yeah, I, I, I really was thinking I was like I'm gonna message Chad, I'm gonna show him all this like gruesome art of with the X Men. And, and unfortunately that, that didn't come through. But if you if you there's little hints of it if you look in that second issue, you could see a little little clause of a certain character. So Yeah, yeah that, I, that was fun.
0: You can message me anytime. I'll even keep your secrets. It's fine. I do this for a living. <laughs> 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 but uh I I love your use of America Chavez. America's been through some rough shit lately. They, she, so America is an extra-dimensional character who for many years of continuity has believed she grew up in this kind of all-powerful all-women dimension, but in more recent comics has been very grounded by discovering some of her origins are a myth and Uh, Her story is a little bit different than what she initially thought and her power has been kind of tossed aside a little. We've seen characters uh, or or we've seen creators uh, use her. She's in the new Thunderbolts book right now. Anthony Oliveira just got to use her. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tell us about your use of America. And I have to throw in the side question. How did you choose to bring in Hildegard of all characters? I love her.
2: So for uh, Hildegard, um, when, when we came into it, Uh, I wanted I I wanted Loki from the get go. I knew that her powers were on the fritz, and I'm like, okay, what if like she's on her since her powers are on the fritz? I think the best thing we could do is like play with that because she can't she doesn't have full control over the whole dimension hopping. I'm like, there's so many dimensions in the Marvel universe we could play with. So I definitely I knew that I wanted Loki, and then um the the Thor team was super nice. Um, I got some editor feedback about that, and they they told me about um characters i could use and um uh the um i don't know why the name is escaping me i love these guys the um uh the three the oh my god i'm losing it the well i know that the warriors three <laughs> there thank you oh yes yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes lifesaver yes the warriors three came up and i saw that hildegard was now the new member and i'm like okay i'm like I I gotta use Hildegard, I'm like, she will be perfect to this team, so like what if they get split up and now it's America, it's Loki, and it's uh, Hildegard, and I'm like, okay, now we got the Warriors 3, like a new Warriors 3, my little version, and and that's how Hildegard came out, and yeah, and oh, and when it came to America, well, yeah, like there's just a lot to explore, Mm, because I mean, with her losing her powers, and then her also recovering these traumatic memories, I was like, we could explore that here too, because what happens when you remember all these horrible things like and you're losing your powers and you remember these moments where you just you couldn't save people? Like, what does that do to you? And yeah, that's that's what I work with in that in that uh, little story.
0: She's a phenomenal character and of course a lesbian icon. So we love all queer characters automatically mm-hmm. on this podcast, but she's a great character mm-hmm. who has such a weird start, but she's uh, she's wonderful. I was so thrilled, having gotten to know you on the podcast, I was so thrilled to see your name attached and I messaged you like, yay, what? Yay. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> Thank it's you. really good, man. I hope to see a lot more stuff uh, in Marvel proper coming from you soon. Uh, mm-hmm. I, if there's anything, you probably can't tell us anyway, but just know I'm rooting for you. I'm here for you, my friend. Thank you so much. Uh, Demanda, I love to be uh, nonsensical with you, but I'm going to get very serious for a minute. Your name is everywhere right now. Uh, Demanda does story time, uh, drag queen story time with kids and has so boldly and bravely and incredibly been reading to children. That's literally all it is. It is a a man in drag reading to children. And it is something that happens in cities all over the place, but there have been a lot of controversies and threats and horrible things happening. And Demanda's name has been in the papers and, and in the articles as uh, as this controversy has gotten some national attention. Uh, you can choose to share or not share whatever you'd like here, my friend, but how are you? I know you, uh, you're, you're propelling to fame in a way that you probably did not hope for.
3: Um, so, so first of all, this just reminds me of when a few years ago I was at a convention and I got put on this panel that I was really not qualified for. And as they were going down introducing everyone, it was like, hi, I'm so-and-so, I have published 17 science fiction books, I've published blah, blah, blah. I, you know, do all, this, I'm a writer and I have all these things and I'm like, I'm a drag queen. I read comics. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: like your only, your only qualification on this panel is: Do you love the X Men? And then you automatically belong. <laughs> and
3: anyway, and it just, it just always makes me laugh because you know, I, you know, I do, um, a bit, you know, a bit of this. Um, since, since things have sort of opened up, and I'm, and I'm a little more busy with, um, gigs. Like I don't get to do as many of of these podcast things. But, but anyway, it's just always so funny that it's like you know, there's like. Working professionals in comic books, and I'm just like, "Hey, we're drag queen." <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, but um, but yeah, it's been crazy. It's been it's been weird. So, back in June, I had my first run-in with some protesters who like came in inside because these things typically take place at libraries or um, like public parks or things of that nature. Um. And uh, which means that there are public spaces, which means that pe- anyone is allowed to be there. Um, and so in June, I had like my first run in where um, some people came into uh, a story time that I was doing and interrupted me and started questioning um, why I think that their question was, why was I making a mockery of God? and um it was an, like I, my first response is usually very smart alecky and i was like well who's god cuz you know there's like a bunch of them um which obviously they didn't like um so and like it just it just got worse from there they were then escorted out by um the library security and then like i was um anyway it was very it was very crazy and like i got escorted out by um by the security to my car because like the protesters were all outside and um but like we like took like a back entrance and i felt very whitney houston like getting like snuck out of a side door like walked to my car um but it was still like very and like that was my and also second. because
0: you're every woman it's all in you
3: i am every woman <laughs> it, uh, she she's all in me um but uh but that was also like my second of three gigs that day. So then I had to like get myself together to like still perform that night. I had cried off my eyelashes. My eyeshadow was everywhere. So I literally asked one of my friends, it's like, Can you bring me eyelashes and black eyeshadow? And I just, as as my friend, Dax exclamation point, and I say, one end out, smoke it out. Just take some black eyeshadow and it'll work.
0: Little smoky um, eye cures everything.
3: Yep, just just smoke it out. Um, and then, you know, I did the show and, uh, so then since then, um, story times that I've done, um, have usually been met with, uh, a very positive reaction. Uh, there's been like counter protesters there, people carrying like big rainbow flags and like, uh, you know, volunteers who stand at like any of the public entrances at the places. And I started doing, this monthly gig at a place called Brookside Gardens uh, out here in Montgomery County. And um, again, there's usually like a lot of families there and like a lot of people like out and about. Well, uh, two or so weeks ago, um, you know, everyone thought that everything was cool. And this time it was like officially the proud boys who came and they all were like all geared up and like masks and like big sunglasses and hats. So you obviously couldn't identify any of them. Very clannish. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like to be honest, I'm like, just because you're wearing black and not white doesn't mean that I don't know what this is. Um, and uh, they first started harassing the families like before I got there. And so the families were feeling very like threatened by them. Um, and so we did it inside, which was fine. And I didn't know how many people were there. Cause now when I get there, I get escorted into like a safe room, um, be, just, uh, you know, for protocol sake. And then I get escorted places by, by staff members. And, um, so while I was in there, they were like, oh yeah, well, you know, there's like some people here, whatever. So we're going to bring the families into you. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Whatever. And they were like, so then after the families left um, and the police were there, once the families left. And again, it was a very lovely story time. The kids were so cute. Um, one of the little girls wanted to talk to me about the Octonauts, which I don't know if you guys know the Octonauts, but they're amazing. We love them. It's just a little story. It's a little TV show that talks about um, aquatic creatures. I talked about the mantis shrimp episode, which is my favorite. Um, and uh they were just like, yeah, there's still some protesters outside, but, you know, we're going to walk you to your car. So, so, you know, you should be safe. And I was like, okay, I just think it's going to be like five or six people. And I'm like, listen, as, as a queer person, like I have had things screamed at me from moving cars before. Like that's, that's not like that's not going to bother me. Um, But no, it was definitely like, I would say like 30 to 50 people. I obviously was not like trying to make eye contact with anyone or like really look around. I was really just trying to like focus on getting to my car. There was also a person there who identified herself as a member of the press, um, who wanted to talk to me, but couldn't show any credentials, wouldn't identify like what press she worked for, but just wanted to talk to me. Um, and I was like, no, thank you. Um, so as I was being walked out, um, I was harassed. I was yelled at. I was, um, uh, you, you know, just all sorts of like ugly, like anything that wasn't a slur or a threat of violence was yelled at me um, because apparently that's then when the police have to step in. And since the police didn't do shit, um, they know like what they can and can't say to me. Um, they put uh, protest signs on my car. Um, they, uh, again, tried to like get it like when I had my door open, they tried to like get into like, my car door. Uh, it was just very scary. Uh, the police did finally, like, make sure that they were out of the way so I didn't hit them with my car. Um, and I'm like, that's all I need is for me to, like, hit one of these people with my car. And then, like, it's a whole thing. Um, so, so yeah. So that was fucked up and scary. Um, so since then, uh, you are the only person that I've actually told that story to um <laughs> uh i have not spoken to any press because uh first uh since after the last one i already did an interview with the washington post um i did put like some statements some statements like i'm some celebrity some statements on like my twitter and social media just to be like hey i'm not talking to anybody unless you go through like um it's now been rebranded as drag story hour by the way that which is literally just like recent as of October 11th. Uh they haven't changed all of their uh like handles yet on on um social media but like that's like their new branding. It's just drag story hour. Um
0: I think every I think every queer person out there knows what it's like to have someone stare you down or to call you a faggot or to yell something yes. uncomfortable from a car. But it is different when you log into your account and find death threats from strangers or yep. signs so, yeah. put on your car. And I know you are brave and courageous and you are sticking with it because it's important and you're sending a message. But, yeah. sweetheart, it's also got to be really fucking it's, scary.
3: It, 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 it is scary because, again, like they took pictures of my car so they also like have my social media because because I didn't like give any interviews, um, they then went to my social media and like screenshotted it and then posted that in their stories, which meant that like all of my social handles are now like and the thing is I also don't have private accounts, like all of my Demanda Martini accounts are very public because obviously that's how you grow your brand. Um, but uh but also also, like because I'm a very open person, like I also have like pictures of my family and my niece and like my friend and like my friend's kids and stuff like that on my socials. So like it's made me very wary of that and whether or not I need to go through and like delete stuff off my social media um, and like maybe like lock down a bit because so after all of this, um, MSN then ran a story about it which then opened me up to a whole new um, round of people. So like that brought in like the death threats and um, lots of ugly uh, messages. Um, and the thing is because I'm not a, a person who is either verified on social media or has a very large following, um, there's no real clout behind time I report people. So any reporting that I do, I'm pretty much just told, this doesn't break any community guidelines. Would you still like to block these people? Yeah. yeah. Um, which again, is, I'm like, I've already blocked them. Like, that's not like, duh. But uh, but it, it's just interesting. Like a friend of mine just got uh, put in Facebook jail because she created um, a private, not even a public, but a private event that she only invited her friends to called Halloween instead of Halloween. Because it's funny and we're all gay and we're, you know, just going to go over to her house and talk about boys and dicks and, you know, stupid shit. <laughs> and, um, and she got put in Facebook jail, but like the person who is literally threatening to kill me on Facebook, not breaking community guidelines.
0: Do you know what? I once put up a movie <laughs> review on my Facebook page of Schindler's list in which I talk about the representation of Nazis in the movie and Facebook banned my account for ninety days because I used the word Nazi in a post. But it was, it was a Schindler's yes. List review. It, 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 it's, it's insane. Like
3: they, have these, like they have like a couple of weird black and white black and white rules. Like for example, I have many friends who have been put in Facebook jail for just saying men are trash. Like literally the phrase men are trash, or even men are trash can emoji. So like that saying that on social media will definitely get you put in Facebook jail. Sure.
1: sure. Um,
3: but like again, like all this other stuff. And it, it so again, it's been crazy, but I'm still booked and blessed. <laughs> like you are
0: you are um, reading to kids, you are thriving, you are standing yeah, for something, and you are sending a message. I yeah, so I'm so proud just, of you.
3: It's just scary, like it's now scary. And because um, you know, these proud boys took pictures of like my car and my license plate. And the thing is. I also saw some of them speaking to the cops. So I'm just like, guess what? I'm pretty sure some of you are cops. Um, yeah. I'm 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 pretty sure that they can like look up where I live and who like what my legal name is and where uh, you know where my family lives and like where like my niece goes to school, and you know, so like that kind of stuff then becomes scary for me. And so like I never again as a queer person like you already ha- already have like that general like oh like things are scary and like I shouldn't be places by myself um but now like that sort of like elevated
0: yeah um, well i really appreciate yeah. what you're doing i'm so proud of you and thank you for sharing the truth of that story with us uh andrew or juan any words you have for a uh, uh, demanda before we transition into nerdy <laughs> things <laughs>
2: You're awesome, Domingo. seriously. Oh, yeah.
3: Thank you. Thanks. Yeah,
2: yeah. You're amazing.
3: Thanks. Anyway, uh, I'm now just, you know, a simple time-traveling woman who wants to tell her holding <laughs> dad to, like, you know, stop or whatever.
0: Okay, so we're going to, this is an awkward transition, but I don't know how else to do it. We're going to go into our issue review for the day. Uh, the next month or so on the podcast, we're going to be doing some of these flashback stories, which is going to be fun because we're going to do some of these uh, stories set in the 90s, or written in the 90s, but set in the, the pre-60s era. Today's issue is by Scott Lobdell, with art by Brian Hitch and Paul Neary, Uh, colors by Steve Buchelato, I think is how you say it, and the editor is Mark Powers. So a different era, completely different names and creators. We haven't talked about it all on the podcast. We'll get to them eventually. I'm not going to do bios today. Uh, This is a book written in 1997. Uh, It is called The Boy Who Saw Tomorrow. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of uh, comic book history for people who might want to keep track for just a second. Gene Grey dies. Well, seemingly, the phoenix dies, but also not. Anyway, she has a clone, Madeline. Prior, Scott marries them. They have a baby named Nathan. That baby premieres in 1985. In 1989 is when we see Cable for the first time. And it's in the early 90s where we see baby Nathan get the techno-organic virus and then sent into the future 2,000 years. Then we have a bunch of stories. During the Extinction Agenda... Is when Cable is, is it the Extinction Agenda? That's which, which, which is the one with strife in it? That's not, no, that's,
1: that's Extinction Extinction agenda right? song. What oh, Executioner's Executioner song. song? Excuse yeah, me. Right. It's
0: during Executioner's song that we learn that Cable is the baby from the future, but he's now like an old man who's older than his parents. Anyway, Phoenix has already been here for a while. That's the Rachel character. Rachel goes to Excalibur and is there for a long time. And then she gets propelled to the far future where she becomes Mother Ascani. So there's a lot of continuity that's woven together over dozens and dozens of issues. 1994, we get the adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. This is the honeymoon story. They get married and then they go to the far future where in different bodies, they get to raise baby Nathan uh, to be uh, (laughs) to be an older like they just get to raise him through childhood, which is super cute. They're there for like 12 years and then they come back to the past again. Then eventually we get the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, which has nothing to do with it because they go back in time. And that's where we get Mr. Sinister's origin. In 1996, we also get Ascani's son, number one through four, which is the story of Cable or Nathan in the future becoming a freedom fighter under the clan Ascani. And in this series is where we meet Madam Sanctity, who turns out to be the daughter of Bolivar Trask, the creator of the Sentinels. And then I looked it up, Demanda. while you were talking, the 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 series you were referencing, we get a story about Rachel in the future written in 1999 called X-Men Phoenix, which takes place after the one we're going about to talk about today. So that was a lot woven together for our long-term X-Men nerds. You're like, whoa, that was a lot. But for people who aren't familiar, this is a whoosh. <laughs> Anyone any, who has comments just like, on that. Like, and, and, any,
3: anytime you go to talk about Cable or Rachel, it's just very like so we're going to need a minute. <laughs> um, I remember, um, uh, I guess like mm, a year or so ago when I uh, did uh, Madeline Pryor looks and my roommate, who is not an X-Men person, was like, wait, so who is this person again? So I was literally like teasing the wig being like, so Jean Grey dies, right? And again, <laughs> just like going through all of like the stuff. um.
0: You need like three balls of colored yarn to paint a right, of and,
3: and and similarly, like um, I remember someone uh I did a panel about the X-Men cartoon, X-Men 92. And um they were like, Yeah, I really I really want um like the executioner song. And I'm like, Well, we haven't even had Madeline yet. Like but, <laughs> like we need and he was like, Well, we don't really need Madeline's like first of all, I will not tolerate Madeline
2: erasure.
0: Uh, Juan, did you follow all of that continuity? Are you familiar with this section of X-Men lore?
2: Uh, I am more now. I remember as I was listening to you, that cleared even more stuff up, and then I did look it up a little, and I'm, I'm going to wait for chat on this one, because there's literally, the more I dug in, the more I dug myself in deeper. So yeah.
0: You you sent me a message like, what the fuck is the twelve? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, we'll (laughs) we'll get there. It's called a letdown.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely fair. Uh, uh, Andrew, how about you? Is this a section of X-Men that you are familiar with? It's, um, I've read, I think I've read it
1: all, but it's turned into a giant pile of mush in the back of my brain. Like, I vaguely recall a beautiful Fantastic Four X-Men crossover with Rachel and a future Franklin Richards um, I also read the recent, ex- re- relatively recent X Men Blue series, where Rachel had a new code name. I think it was Splendor or something. Oh, no, it's no, uh, Prestige. Prestige, that was it. Prestige, and then she also she was also Marvel Girl for a while. She was also Phoenix. So her Wikipedia is probably one of the most wonderful pages on the internet to pick apart, <laughs> probably next to Soren, which is another X Men character that.
0: I love Soren. <laughs>
1: Very convoluted, but I love that character too. <laughs> uh, and Cable's gotten a lot of play recently. I've I've, I've loved his um his young Cable face in the Krakoan era and the pre krakoan era, and now he's back to older Cable. You know, there was a spotlight
0: issue recently, It was super great. So yeah, there's been baby cables and old cables. There's also, and this is an example of stuff I'm leaving out. Cable in the future marries a woman named Jen Scott, which is like the mix of Jean and Scott together and adopts her child, Tyler, who also comes back into the past and is the criminal Tolliver who fights X-Force a bunch. And then he becomes Genesis, who is the leader of the Dark Riders. Uh, When I say I'm keeping it simple, I promise I'm keeping it simple because it gets (laughs) a lot more, you can add layer after layer after (laughs) (laughs) layer. But but
3: again, like, can you imagine? So again, Rachel comes to the past, finds out that her mom is dead, and then her dad marries someone else and has a boy baby, not a girl baby. <laughs> and then she gets sent to the far future. And then she's like, oh, well, I guess I better like go save my brother from the techno organic virus in the past because she knows that's going to like just
0: wild. Well, but <laughs> then she becomes an old lady and dies, but then also comes back to the present after that. It is- yes. And, and there, wasn't there a family reunion, too, where like the whole clan is
1: decimated? <laughs> Yes,
3: like, yes, but so, because what what happens is she because she dies in the future, but because they stop the twelve, I believe it is like the whole twelve storyline. The twelve storyline, Ascani future then never happens, which means that then because she's a chrono skimmer, because Rachel has temporal powers um her soul gets trapped in like a far a farther distant future and she sends a message to cable that he needs to come save her so that's how she comes back before then she's recaptured by Elias Bogan which again
0: and she exists in our timeline but also all timelines also in the current comic, she's going by the name Ascati which is I, wonderful which
3: is such a good name i've mm-hmm.
0: Okay, okay. So let's talk about this book. We're going to delve in. But this is uh, the comic or the, the soap operas and the Riverdale that we mentioned at the beginning seem very simple in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're jumping into flashback month. We get a cover that is both pretty and weird, uh, drawn by Ladron who's uh, and, and, and Juan Blasco, I believe, as well as the inker. Uh, what are your thoughts on this cover? We have master mold in the background with open hands. Rachel with a very small head in green robes behind Bolivar Trask cradling the body of Larry Trask with his giant ass necklace. Tell me your thoughts on this cover. I would especially love to hear from Andrew here as the artist in the group. Uh,
1: So I I love Ladron. I especially love during this era, he was doing kind of a I think he was drawing cable also around this time. And he was doing a Jack Kirby uh, homage with his artwork. And you can see like a lot of Kirby in the way he proportions the face and the way he draws the sentinel. There's Kirby crackle in the background, which is like iconic, you know, Kirby inking style Uh, and everything just screams Kirby. This isn't what I would say, I wouldn't call this his strongest work, because if you compare this to his cable stuff, uh, like the detail there is off the charts.
0: Um, I but, love I love his run on cable just gorgeous yeah.
1: just ridiculously like I mean guys check that out if you haven't seen that it's on Marvel Unlimited but like um but this is still pretty good uh pretty solid work um I just wish that given that they so this was I'm sorry this was 1997 um and how old was I, I was a child right and when I saw this book um I, it was during the period where I still had that expectation that the cover art would match the interiors. And this book is drawn by Brian Hitch, who, who I also love, but like it, there's a bit of like a, even if the artist inside is um, arguably better or you're more of your preference than the cover artist, there's always a little bit of friction there for me. Like I wish, I wish that Brian Hitch, I wonder what Brian Hitch would have done if he
0: had drawn this cover. Uh, Juan, do you have any thoughts on this cover?
2: Yeah, like, I totally get the Kirby vibes as well. It also somehow reminds me a little bit of the Hulk. That um, that first Hulk <laughs> issue, you know, like, with the, in the background, yeah.
0: <laughs> with the giant hands cradling the this hands. collar figure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to jump in. In the flashback month, they did this thing where they would break away from the story that was currently happening in the books. And then Stan Lee, who is, like, 80 years old... <laughs> would come in as the editor kind of breaking the fourth wall here and uh stanley in most of these flashback appearances as much as i respect the man the way they draw and do him here he's very like you just want to punch him in the face he's very annoying (laughs) i hope it's all right to say that stanley is dressed as the watcher and he's like oh no the x-men are in space let's break away and talk to you i'm talking to the reader let me take you into the halls of marvel And he walks us through a hall of like giant figures, Spider-Woman and Namor and Hulk, and he's cracking jokes and the Fantastic Four there. And then suddenly he's like, let's look at Professor X, but also the X-Men from different timelines. Here's the original team, and here's Havoc and Lorna. Here's Colossus and Nightcrawler. Here's Longshot and Storm from the 80s. Oh, here's Bishop's Rogue and Gambit. The toughest part is remembering all their names, but I've got some surprises for you. And then he sends us into a flashback into the past. We truly do not need to spend any time on Stan Lee again. He's very punchable in most of these flashback issues, and he drives me nuts in all his appearances. <laughs> any any comments on the Stan Lee portion of this comic book?
3: I mean, I was just gonna say, like R- Brian Hitch. He, was, uh, I mostly know him from like he did like the Authority and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: and Ultimates too.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and, and Ultimates. Like this seems very like Brian Hitch doing Alan Davis like it there, there's yes. there's an alan davis so alan davis is one of my absolute favorite um uh x-men uh illustrators so like i'm not mad at that but like again it. No, knowing like what then like oh my god hold on speaking of this right here that he did the cover of oh
2: yeah the, yeah, yeah the, the, the ultimate
3: avengers movie that the animated movie based on the ultimate comics um like just like seeing his art there and like seeing this it's like oh yeah okay like whatever but but also like it's i i remember this era so as someone who was um in high school at this time um like i remember i remember reading all of these like minus 1 issues just being like oh my gosh like this like this whole stanley nonsense is really like it it just it reminded me of um pride of the x men with like him, uh, talking like narrating, and it was like, ugh.
0: There are five pages of Stan Lee, which is four pages too many. <laughs> <laughs> but Brian, Brian Hitch, uh, Brian Hitch did some isolated X Men work. He's mostly a Marvel UK guy. I think the series I most indelibly associate with him is the limited two-part limited X Men versus the Brood for yes. those who may have read that. It's pretty good. Uh so Andrew, will you take us through and once we get through Stanley, will you take us through the next five pages? Uh tell us a little bit about uh about what we see in this comic book.
1: Um so, you know, after the 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 Stanley very abrasive opening where he shouts, "Let the flashback begin." We have a shocking tonal shift into this kind of like I feel like gentle bucolic um narrative tone, which it it is a quiet house along a tree-lined street in the sleepy college town of Annadale-on-Hudson, New York, a place where content people live, thinking content thoughts, living quiet, uneventful lives. And immediately that struck me as like, um, wow, (laughs) who are these people? And then we find out that the house we're zooming into um, is the house of one young 11-year-old Jean Grey, who... um, Her father walks into her room and she, as he starts to tell her to go to bed, she points out the window and she sees, oh, look, it's a falling star. And they have a lovely little discussion about her recent troubles with Annie and how um, difficult it was to get through. But like Professor X helped her get over it.
0: Which is a flashback, in the editor's note takes us to Bizarre Adventures twenty-seven. We did that episode on the podcast with Maria Wolf and Derek you can, you can Check it out if you haven't. It's uh, it's a lovely story,
1: mm-hmm. and and um, and then we have as uh, Jean Gray starts to fall asleep, um, a really lovely two two-panel thought bubble sequence where the father looks back at his daughter and thinks about how amazing it was that Charles Xavier was around to help his child get through this as a specialist, and she got through her depression, and maybe he pulled her out of her own mind, and it's all this speculation about that. As we zoom away to Mount Rushmore, where we see more than half a continent away in the Black Hills of South Dakota, like a falling shooting star, which lands in some sort of barn... Um, a beautifully drawn barn by Brian Hitch but it's like a massive barn because if you count the windows on the third panel oh my god yes it's like it's got yeah it's like a five story tall barn it's like 18 um, windows yeah, <laughs> uh, which will make sense later on uh, but uh, we see the falling star come into the barn um, uh, manifest a giant globe of like ethereal light and outcomes rather than, you know, a star, a human being, a human shaped person who immediately starts speaking in the panel. Um, I hate time travel. Uh, there's no way to do it gracefully. And as she stands up with eight captions floating above her head, we see a cloaked figure who reveals herself to be one Rachel Summers. And she feels as if she's Come home, and she only wishes she could be happy about it. Uh, and Rachel's alone as she starts to speak to herself in the manner of these these comics, where um, uh, she talks about how I chose to follow her through the centuries, and I couldn't be sure where she was going or why. But but by the form of this structure, the condition of the wood, it is clear we're somewhere in the latter half of the twentieth century. And she she uses a fraction of the phoenix power to like light up the the barn around her, and we see a giant splash page with the master mold, which we saw on the cover, um, and it's clearly under construction but it's massive and it's five stories tall and it's looming above her and rachel exclaims it all makes sense now heaven help every one of us now i understand why she came from this specific era to here and now and i know more than ever why she must be
0: stopped (laughs) Uh, Uh, (laughs) Page 10 i believe She stands before a giant uh, vision of Master Mold, who is, of course, the original like robot that spits out little baby sentinels and the baby sentinels are 10 feet tall. I love that Baller Vertrasque was design, designing Master Bold with, like, it needs a human face with the fullest lips I have ever seen. <laughs> the lip bumper is filled. Uh, I got to reference this panel. Literally, This is a two-podcast day for me. Earlier today, I recorded a Patreon episode on Jean Grey's family, her parents, with uh, the wonderful Stephanie Nina Pizzarellis, which will come around the same time this episode does. And we got to review Jean's relationship with her father as portrayed here. And it's really lovely. Uh, before we continue, and Andrew, beautiful job. Before we continue, uh, Juan or Demanda, any comments on this first section?
3: It's it's just so <sighs> again, as a huge Rachel fan, like the, like her dialogue just doesn't feel like, like her. Like you know what I mean? Like it, she, it, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of like this whole <laughs> this whole thing in general. And also, like, can you imagine someone who has like literally traveled all over time? And you just follow someone. You don't know where you're going. And the first thing you see when you arrive is like quite literally the thing from like your nightmares. Like the thing, like, like she came from the place that like the sentinels took over and she was like a slave to. And she's just like, I must stop her. I'm like, girl, blow up this master mold. Like what? Like what are we doing here? (laughs) Like, anyway, just
2: what? just again, wild this whole story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Juan, any comments from you here?
2: Uh, I thought it was interesting they started off with uh, Jean, um and her dad because it starts setting that tone of the father that knows best and is uh, like keeping things from their children and is like grateful that they're kind of being like denied information, like they're not allowed to grow.
0: The other interesting piece here is it's starting with the mother. And then Rachel comes in, right? So we see her mom as a child here. It kind of sets the time mm-hmm. travel. And also, John Gray is later going to really tragically die in Rachel's arms uh, when they're dancing together at the party in the famous Claremont, like X Men 466 or whatever that number is. Uh, so we won't reference that more today, but I just covered that in the other pod. And so I'm still sad because <laughs> it's such a tragic death. Uh, Demanda, will you take us through the next section?
3: Sure. So so at that same moment uh, away, um, again, we find it later. So someone is having these visions of the X-Men and then what does become, you know, the storyline of Days of Future Past, where uh, Destiny is trying to assassinate um, Senator Kelly. Um, and uh, which, again, is very interesting that, again, we just saw Rachel, who, again, comes from that storyline mm-hmm. and that's and that's what he's seeing right now. Um so then we find out that um it's Larry,
0: Larry Trask is a precog. He can see yes. the future like destiny but in a different way.
3: Yeah so 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 Larry is having one of his spells as as he and his dad call them where he and he doesn't remember his uh like his his future visions. And so he pretty much tells his dad that mutants are coming to kill um, the humans, and uh, that this human person is going to make a difference. And as we know, since it's already building master mold, that Bolivar is really already not into humans, so uh, again, or and into mutants. So Bolivar then puts this medallion, <laughs> <laughs> this, this <laughs> giant ass who, like, what, and also he he's an anthropologist. And we're building giant robots, we're, we're building mutant power dampening devices. Like science is crazy, but anthropology, I don't think, is this. Um so so he he just sort of talking about how uh you know L- L- Larry sees these things from from the from the future. And, uh, this, you
0: know, this medallion was introduced in the late 60s, which yes. it, we uh, I recently had Jerry Gaylord on the pod. And he t- he's like, that necklace is so fly is how he described it. <laughs> <laughs> is it, I is mean,
3: it, it is. It is very much of. A, and, and it kind of makes sense that obviously, like the scientist who this is not his specialty, making this mutant dampening device and why it's so
0: huge. Like seven um, pounds. Right.
3: <laughs> um. And, and now Bolivar is like, he's like, is it his fault that his children are, are, you know, these mutants? And, um, and so, you know, they talk about, uh, his wife's death, which again, goes back to another, um, X-Men story as, and then he, um, asks, you know, it's he's actually not daughter. a
0: very it's actually not a very reference story in the '60s books, and we recently covered this on the pod. There's a mention from Judge Robert Robert Chalmers to Larry when he's teaching him he's a mutant. He's like, "Do you remember how when you were a child you predicted the hour of your mother's death?" And so this this comic is referencing that Bolivar's wife died in a car accident, and Bolivar has two mutant children, which is part of the way he's designing sentinels that will kill mutants. It's insane. The whole thing is yeah. insane. Um. So I,
3: he's just sort of you know thinking about. You know, he, he failed his wife, uh, and his daughter and, um, you know, all of his studies and research. So then, uh, Larry wakes up and he calls him Lawrence, which is, you know, so patronizing and dad-like. He's like, (laughs) oh, daddy, did I have another spell? Um, and of course, like he's not being truthful to, to Larry, um, you know, kind of what Juan brought up earlier, sort of like keeping that away from him and then goes into, you know, and this is why, uh, you know, could you imagine a world overrun by genetically gifted humans who cannot control their abilities just like his son can't control his abilities? Although does, I mean, does, does he think that these sentinels aren't going to like kill his kid? Um, and so also we get a glimpse of, like, this shadowy figure. Uh, we don't know whether or not it's Rachel or potentially someone else. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then Bolivar's like, you need to go get some rest. Okay, bye. Um, so
0: there's, then, also, and, there's also a view of their family photo. Can you guys look at this yes. photo for a second? Bolivar, his wife is gorgeous. Larry's smiling, wearing this giant necklace even as a kid. And then Tanya's like... Fuck you! I'm a teenager and I hate you. Her arms are folded. Don't want to be here.
2: Whatever, Dad. I'm a medallion.
0: She's so mad. Anyway, go ahead.
3: In these in these overalls, again. I mean, when you're from, I mean, I would be that mad too if I was from Nebraska. And um, so so then, uh, as Larry leaves to go outside, um. That he walks by Rachel and Rachel is using her powers to mask herself uh from Larry. Again, she uses the term fraction again. It's like, girl, how many fractions you got? Um, fractions are ridiculous. And the other thing is that, and she also talks about why that she could literally right now just fix Larry's brain. She could literally just go in and like tell him to not hate mutants anymore. But then she talks about how um that, that, you know, she, she knows what it means to like mess with, mess with the timelines. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that, you know, it's not a good idea. And then
0: with a reference to the classic uncanny X-Men 140, 141, which is yes, go look it up. It's amazing.
3: Yes. Um, and I mean also, I mean, she also then eventually went back to her own time and like defeated the sentinels. So again, I'm just like, why don't we just defeat them now? I don't know. Whatever. Um, so, so then she uh is shocked to hear another voice in her head, who is this person? And uh, hold on, is this still me. Uh, yeah, this is this is my last page. Um, And so she's then attacked by this by this person that she doesn't know who it is, like a sledgehammer.
0: So a couple of key components, and I want to delve into Bolivar Trask for just a minute. He's a character, a lot of people consider the original Sentinel run in the 60s books to be Stanley and Jack Kirby's finest X-Men work, which it is, along with the Juggernaut storyline. They're, They're kind of their only really great stories in the 60s. But we have a lot of context added to Bolivar afterwards. So we learn here, Bolivar's married. He has two children. He's got Lawrence and Tanya. And Tanya disappears one day. When her powers activate, she disappears into the time stream. She's a time traveler. She can move through time and space. And we see her back here, but we don't meet her until Ascani son number one, which is in the 90s, right? So this is retroactive continuity. And then his son Lawrence, his powers activate, and he predicts when his mom is going to die. And then it happens. Bolivar has reason to hate mutants. We're giving him context here. It's in his own family, which is a shame. And we have this idea of queer identity where parents hate their kids for being queer because they're scared and et cetera, et cetera. But he has designed this necklace to block his son's powers and alter his son's memories. His daughter is missing, he doesn't know where she is. His wife is gone, she's dead. And now he's got this son he's trying to protect. So part of his motivation is designing these sentinels which he hopes will contain the mutant problem which is fascinating. Every time the necklace comes off Larry has some vision of the future. Uh, the other piece here is we also see him mention a connection to Henry Peter Gyrick, who is like the Trumpiest character in Marvel <laughs> Comics. He's the, he's the guy that hates mutants and will do anything to contain them. He hates all superheroes. We'll get to Gyrick more on the podcast someday. But his connection, because Gyrick's the one that helps run Project Wide Awake in the future, which is the the, the government group that uh, that builds the Sentinels. Uh, uh, Juan and Andrew, uh, any thoughts on this section? Hmm.
2: Pretty. I like the. I like the the epic battle that begins. And I, I. I like that Rachel, uh, the, and Tanya going at it. I thought that was pretty cool. With all of, like the the dirt, like the the uh, surrounding area just being manipulated like that. I that was pretty cool. Pretty good telepath battle.
0: Yeah. Do you want to take us there next? Cover that last five pages. Tell us what happens between Rachel and Tanya. So
2: after um Rachel, Rachel and Tanya like they throw it down, and after that uh, it turns out it was all distraction that. In reality, um, Tanya is going inside of the, her dad's lab and her dad is really into his work. And then he says that he knew eventually some mutants would come in for him. And right there, there's a lot to unpack. And that, well, I'll get to that in a second. Well, then Tanya gets in. She comes in through the dark as if like she's like the ray of light for this man. And then she he hugs his daughter. And right then and there, he's just like, you know. She tells him, hey, I've I've moved on to the future. I can't can't control these powers. I'm I'm like way ahead. And right there, it's like you see it. Like there's this symbolism about these children. They're thinking progressively. They're moving on forward. And the dad, he's still stuck in his own thing. So because of that, they're separate. At least that's the way I took it. And then this is the part where I I thought it was maybe like a fragment sentence right here where she says, he tells her, you know, "You're, you're home now. And she's like home and she asked that question i'm like home and then it just jumps to the next page on 17. but i totally get it now it's like how could she be home with someone that doesn't like her doesn't doesn't like what she is yeah and then from there we get the whole explanation and that um he tells her hey these machines you're building they're I, I know deep down you're, you're not bad. I, I know you're building them thinking you're doing the right thing, but in reality these machines they they're built they're, they're, they're madness, they're deaf. I've seen this with my own eyes and she tries to appeal to her dad and, be, <laughs> and and tries to get a response. And we as the reader unfortunately are robbed of this moment because Rachel just comes in and tells her, "Hey, you know what your, your dad I, I blocked this out. He can't hear you anymore. He can't see this. And and Rachel just, I mean, Tanya accepts it and she's like, Yeah, I, I knew you were gonna do that. And she was like, Well, what were you hoping to accomplish by coming back here? You know the problems of time travel. And she's like, Well, nothing, everything. Maybe I was just trying to get that closure. And right there, as like I took it as like she was looking for any kind of hope. She was trying to get hope. And Rachel denied it to her. And then after that we get the um Larry comes out and he sees the the warp land from the battle. It looks like an organic Tim Burden scene. And uh, he, <laughs> he he is just he's not having it. He is mad because this totally supports his dad's beliefs that he, he's instilled in them, which is they're coming after us. This is like this entity he's never really dealt with is, is after them. It's coming, it's gonna happen. He's like, Oh, well it's here. He was right. So in a way they kind of did already too little a little something for the future right there with that. There's some interference. Yeah. So then after, so after following this moment, um, after she, we, we we come to see that um, she, she just goes down with her dad and well, Tanya goes down with her dad and she just gives him her, her, her farewell. And she says, you know what? He's, he might not remember this mentally, but maybe his heart will. And then, Following this, we come to see that um, it's, it's referenced that Rachel will fight Tanya in the future because Tanya is going to betray her. Which can we blame her after this? I mean, that's pretty messed up. <laughs> Take that one. <moment. laughs> and but and but um, Rachel has this feeling like, wait a minute, like I know I'm missing something. Like what? What I, she did something? I just don't know. And then that's when we see that she did, she did some computer hacking on the side, and she did the, she left, she installed the program and deleted all references. The program, to quote, is program designate the 12, which I got extremely curious, what could this be? And then I was was warned, you don't want to know what this could be.
0: (laughs) So I'm going to put Tanya's story in context for just a second. If we take this character out of her word, her powers developed, and as an adolescent, she disappeared into the time stream. After Excalibur 75 is when Rachel enters the time stream. She still has the power of the Phoenix, and she pulls Tanya out of it, and then they land 2,000 years in the future together. And this is Tanya using her powers willfully to come back in the past, and because she's seen this devastating, awful future where apocalypse has devastated everything. The world is a, a, a wasteland. And she's trying to convince her dad to change things, but it doesn't work because Rachel knows that if she tries to alter the timeline, it's not going to end well. So Rachel stops her effectively and pulls her back in. But first she puts this program in place in which, what do you think her goal is in trying to upload the 12 program into Master Mold? It's, it's,
3: like, it's hard to define it. it, <laughs> no, it doesn't. it doesn't make any sense. Because, <laughs> so here's the thing. So the 12 originally, what happens is when... Nimrod first comes uh, to the past um, after the Days of Future Past storyline. He starts recognizing certain characters um, as members of the 12. Uh, and it kind of becomes this long-running thread for many, 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 many years. Of who are the 12? Why are they important? Are they the leaders of the next generation? Are they just the most powerful mutants? Like, what's going on in, like, um, like franklin richards was identified as one um cyclops was i believe cannonball and moonstar were both recognized um at one point like throughout um you know throughout uh you know the x-men publication but then come to find out it had nothing to do with the sentinels at all it has everything to do with apocalypse trying to create this weird mutant circuit to merge his body with uh well at least he was trying to do it with either Nate Gray or um, Franklin, but ended up doing it with Cyclops.
0: So I'm gonna oversimplify right and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna oversimplify the 12 storyline and cover it very quickly, but it's more complex and it builds in the comics for a while and it's ultimately very unsatisfying. It doesn't have a lot of payoff. Tanya's goal here, she has uploaded something into master mold, which seems to be trying to change the future. By doing this. My my sense of her goal here, and we're not going to get back to Madam Sanctity on the podcast for like another seven years. So, be, so nobody expect much from this. We're stuck in the 60s for a while still. So Mastermold in the future, there's a quote where he says, the dozen mutant humans, the 12 are the dozen mutant humans who will one day rise up to lead all of mutant kind in a war against Homo sapiens in the twilight of earth. We see Bishop reference this. We see Apocalypse reference this. We see Cable reference this. Ultimately, what happens, it's almost its almost like uh, Apocalypse takes this and ta- changes it into his own thing. And what, uh, what Tanya's attempt here is doesn't end up working because her future ends up happening. But then it doesn't because there's characters from that future, but the timeline's been wiped out. Really, we don't need to delve into it. What ends up happening, Destiny also references the 12. She writes about the 12 in her diaries. After she dies, they find this. The 12 end up being Magneto and Polaris, who are described as opposing magnetic poles, Storm, Sunfire, and Iceman, who represent the elements, Bishop, who represents time, Mikhail Rasputin, who represents space, Cyclops, Phoenix, and Cable, who represent family, Professor X, who represents the mind, and the living monolith, who represents the core. And apocalypse takes all this, and this crazy story is told, and then it explodes, and cyclops dies, and apocalypse lives in his body. That's kind of where. It I,
1: I want to say, like, I find that a more satisfying payoff to the twelve storyline and all those plot lines dropped in over the years is the current quiet council of Krakoa. I just love that we have, a, you know, 12 people sitting around the table leading Mutant Kind. And I thought that was just a better solution to everything uh, rather than what we actually got. So...
3: That's, <laughs> a, that's a
0: delicious 100%. recognition. Yes.
3: yes. 100%. <laughs> that is way better. But yeah, again, so many... And, and the, uh, again, so many people and so many different characters were referenced as, uh, you know, members of the 12. And then, uh, again... And it, so... When this book came out, it was like again another like because I think the twelve happened maybe a year, if if even a year after this storyline because in two thousand was when they did the six month gap where then there was like the revolution arc which was after right the right like they were trying to like revamp the twelve so obviously like oh we're referencing the twelve again and remember that time that you know the sentinels knew who the twelve were ha this is. Is what it is, but it's also like, oh, that story just sucks so much.
0: <laughs> we had a lot of this examples, like Bishop is from a different future. That's that's like eighty years in the future. And Bishop like pursuing Hope Summers across time streams to try to wipe her out to prevent his future. Like there's, we have these weird stories where we have to try to work in the time travel element but the timelines are different and divergent. It, and it's kind of bizarre and strange. Uh, we're hitting time. Is everybody okay for 10 more minutes? Just checking quickly. Okay, uh, Juan, now that you've learned about the 12, how do you feel? Was this a satisfying conversation? <laughs>
2: In all, honesty, in all honesty, I mean, they, they sound pretty cool. I I, I mean, the, the family one throws me off a bit, but hey, I'll take it. It's, uh, they sound like a good lineup. They do. <laughs> so-
0: <laughs> It's a bizarre storyline. And X-Men in the 90s gets nuts. The thing that I'm most impressed about as we're wrapping up this issue, Scott Lobdell knows his shit. He could have told a hundred stories here. He could have made it all about Professor X and Magneto or all about Gene. But the fact that he pulled Tanya back and like seeded the 12 story with Master Mold, I think it's pretty smart storytelling, but I don't think it had the payoff that he hoped for. I do love this story, though. The idea of we getting us getting a young Gene with an older Rachel and then tying in the Tanya, Larry, Trask stuff into Bolivar and Master Mold, it's a smart story. It just doesn't have the payoff that we hoped for. Any any thoughts on that idea? This is a really complicated issue.
3: Again, <laughs> no, I I love the idea because obviously, you know, with what you know we sort of know of like, you know, Rachel saving s- saving Tanya and like sort of training her and using her powers. Obviously, as soon as she was ready, she's like, I want to go home and I wanna like fix it. Because you know, if you're a mutant with time travel powers, what you gonna try to do? <laughs> you know, you're gonna you know, try to go fix time. And you know, you know, save your family. And also when you know that your family is the one that like, you know, started, you know, this whole, you know, sentinel nonsense. I mean, obviously it it's it's interesting for for her to do this, but again, it just doesn't have this sort of like payoff because that whole 12 thing just Doesn't it just doesn't make sense?
0: This story also has a little bit of that story like uh if you could go back in time and kill Hitler as a baby, would you do it? Type of vibe to it, right? Tanya trying to change the time and figure out her powers. And she becomes kind of a reprehensible character in the future. Uh look up an article on Madame Sanctity. I'm not gonna cover whole history. Maybe I'll do a a Patreon episode with Demanda Martini about (laughs) Sanctity one day.
1: But but like, can I clarify something? Because yes. She's clearly Madam Sanctity is clearly wearing some sort of hound costume with a cloak over it, right? So I guess we're implying that she was in the same hound program that Rachel
0: was in a maybe wiped-out timeline. Yeah. Or she no. or at the very least, Rachel saved her and then Madam Sanctity got her fashion sense from Rachel. <laughs> uh,
3: so so I I I think I think it's more implied that like Rachel becoming a sort of like Christ-like figure to those in the future becoming Mother Ascani and like starting yeah. the whole Ascani sisterhood, they sort of adopt her fashion as part of like what it is that
1: they mm. wait for.
3: It's, Be- is, is, is is more like what I get from it.
1: Because one of my weird like when I got to that final panel where Master Mold program, like she installed something and it was like the 12, I my brain misunderstood it as like, oh wait, was she working for the Sentinels this whole time? And she's trying to undo a mutant agenda. And that's why she's putting this info there. But like, it just doesn't make sense. If like, if I go that route. Yeah.
3: yeah well, well, cause also to, again, it doesn't make sense for her to put in the, again, cause if she was trying to get her dad to stop making the Sentinels, why then would she give her dad the names of these? Although again, exactly. or, yeah. or again, sorry. I'm like thinking out loud. So We we have come to find out, again, after reading The Twelve, that The Twelve really aren't these leaders of mutant kind. Really, The Twelve are these mutant circuits that Apocalypse is trying to use to live forever. Mm -hmm. So if she can get Master Mold to kill those mutants before Apocalypse can get them would they effectively kill po- apocalypse
0: I'm, I'm gonna regret this but now we have modern continuity that teaches us apocalypse was only trying to live forever because his wife and children got sucked into the arako whatever in a mental <laughs> yeah, right, 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 yeah, yeah. Like exactly <laughs> we have to stack all this up this is not apocalypse podcast yet i've never done this on the podcast but i think it's worth it really quickly i just jumped onto marvel wikia which is not always super reliable but i'm going to read the madam sanctity episode uh, the entry out loud really quickly Madame Sanctity was originally Tanya Trask, the daughter of Bolivar Trask, the creator of the Sandals. Like her brother Larry, Tanya was a mutant, though she possessed time travel powers, as well as telepathic and psychokinetic abilities. When these manifested, Tanya was lost in the time stream until she was pulled into the Ascani future by Rachel Summers. Tanya became a member of Rachel's Ascani sisterhood and took on the alias Sanctity. The trauma of being displaced in time and the extreme conditions of the Ascani's war against apocalypse caused Tanya to become extremely ruthless, manipulative, and even mad. After she learned to control her powers, Sanctity traveled back in time in order to prevent the rise of Apocalypse, which she knew was tied to the fabled Twelve. Rachel followed her into the present to prevent her plan of programming Mastermold with the identities of the Twelve and the directive of destroying them. Tanya pretended to comply with Rachel, but she had already uploaded the information into Mastermold's core programming, which prevented Bolivar Trask from discovering Tanya's actions. However, the information sanctity uploaded was not accurate, presumably as a way to protect Cable, gene Grey, and Cyclops. Following the death of Rachel or Mother Ascani, Sanctity became Madame Sanctity and took over the Ascani sisterhood in the future. In order to ensure Cable's birth and his confrontation with Apocalypse, she sent Cyclops and Jean Grey back to the XIX century in order to ensure the transformation of Nathaniel Essex into Mr. Sinister. So that's the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix story. And his rebellion against Apocalypse, which were necessary for the birth of Cable. She constantly manipulated Cable as well as others through astral projections and agents such as Shaver. Sanctity received the young Nathan Dayspring or Cable into the sisterhood so he could be trained in the use of his powers. However, when the new Canaanites, a faction that had taken over Apocalypse's throne, attacked the Ascani lands, Madam Sanctity was kidnapped by Strife, Nathan's evil clone. Recognizing the similarity of his old, of his size signature to those of her messiah, Sanctity allied with him and trained him in the use of her psychic powers. So that's the quick wiki entry on Sanctity. Any thoughts?
1: <laughs> Wild. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes more sense now, right? If she's trying to prevent the rise of apocalypse and the 12 is like, and she's just using the Sentinel program to kind of do that. It makes sense. It makes sense. Even if it's not that satisfying, but it makes sense.
0: <laughs> My very first uh, episode of this podcast, X-Men number one, we talk about like, here's Jean Grey. Things get very complicated in the future. <laughs> here's an example uh, Okay. We got to wrap up because we're over time, but uh, any final thoughts from any of you? Uh, what was it like for you to review this issue? Did you have fun today? Any thoughts you'd like to share? It, it, it's...
3: So even though like, you know, the story for me isn't like super satisfying and uh, you know, I didn't really like, you know how Rachel is sort of written. However it is sort of what I love about the X-Men which is like just complicated family drama. Like it's like that. that's all it is. Like everyone's families are intertwined in the, and, and X-Men has now also just become uh, sort of like the constant like retcon of a retcon of a retcon of a retcon and like digging more and more and more and so like sort of like uh you know making now rachel now a part of like the (laughs) set like literally programming the sentinels that then she is then enslaved to is just again wild
0: if moira mctaggart learned about this she'd be so not
3: moira
1: the thing Uh, i love most about this issue is is um brian hitch's art i mean i know he's like still a baby at this point and he's going to go on to do like amazing, great things. But it's so nice that in my head, he has a lineage with Alan Davis, like the man that mentioned. Um, he, he does give off that vibe very strongly. And it's nice to kind of see that in comparison with what he ends up doing in the future. So I love the art and worthwhile to like look at the issue even
0: just for that. Beautiful. Uh, Juan, any final thoughts from you?
2: Yeah, I agree on the art. Yeah, as soon as Rachel shows up and you see her big eyes, I'm like, this is pretty cool. And then um, there was some blind spots for me, as, as we've said, but like uh, Amanda said, like, it's family that got me to latch onto this. It's all just complicated family drama. It's just all about acceptance and family. And I could totally, I totally get that. And that's what kept me going with it.
0: We needed this one now because we've been covering Larry Trask on the pod, but we're moving on from him soon. We'll revisit him in the Avengers arc. Uh, As we are wrapping up, let me just thank each of you for your delightful selves, your wonderful personalities and humor. Uh, Thank you for sticking out with me this evening. I had a great time recording with each of you. I'm a a mad respecter of each of your talents, and I can't wait to see uh, what all of you are doing moving forward. Uh, as we're wrapping up, where can people find you online? And recognizing this episode comes out on November 8th. Is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, I will start here. Uh, Gray Malkin Lane can be found on Gray Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter or Gray underscore Lane on Instagram. We also have a TikTok channel now and a Public, So feel free to check us out in any of those spaces. Uh, the episode after this one is going to feature X-Men Minus one. We're going to keep up with the flashbacks for a minute. And I'm thrilled to be presenting the talents of the gentleman from the Rage Gear Studios, as well as uh, as well as Philip uh, Ewing, who's going to be joining us Uh, on the Patreon. I will be releasing the next episode is The Grey Family, the one I referenced today with Stephanie Nina Pizzarillos. Uh, Feel free to give us a listen. It's very sad, but also very poignant and tells us a lot about Gene. So let's go with Andrew next.
1: Um, so really simple. It's uh, it's Andrew Drillon, my name. Um, one word, small caps, everywhere. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and I also have a YouTube channel. It's called Comic Booker. Um, so yeah, check that out. Uh, uh, and my website, andrewdrillon.com is where you can pick up uh, my new comic, Secret Heart Attack, if you want to check that out. Uh, there's also like an extended preview there. And um, yeah, that's it for me.
0: Fantastic. And you. Uh, over to Juan. Next. It's so good to have you here. Thanks for, thanks for losing your podcast virginity with us. <laughs> and then I, I survived the experience guys. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you survived the experience and you did. Uh, over to Juan next.
2: Oh yeah. Hi, you can find me at Poncecomics.com. I just updated the site just a bit and you can find a lot of free stories there for me and uh announcements and also, you could find like stories and announcements for me on my Twitter at L.Azymandias. Yes, I like Watchmen and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and poems and so, so forth. And uh, yeah, like um, there might be some news coming soon. There might not, but for sure early next year there will be. So.
0: Fantastic. I can't wait to see what you've got next. And I hope it has Hildegard <laughs> in it.
2: <laughs> yeah, me too.
0: <laughs> Thank you. And then Demanda.
3: Uh, so you can find me across all social media platforms at Demandamartini, D-M-A-N-D-A-M-A-R-T-I-N-I. Uh, when this podcast comes out, um, I will have a bunch. Uh, I'm headed back to uh, drag story hours. So uh, send good vibes. Um, and uh, again, I think it's really important that we continue to do that. So, um, So we're going to keep doing that my uh, regular monthly show in dc called demand a nightcap where we mix drag with readings of erotic fiction uh will be um november 17th um i will be having special guest tippa buckley uh who is uh one of my delightful friends and uh i'll probably have other hopefully more things booked uh throughout november and december but really exciting. Uh, Again, I'm still waiting for some confirmation, but I will be traveling to Utah um, around January 27th for a friend's wedding. Um, I will hopefully be getting some bookings there. Again, keep fingers crossed. I've already heard back from some people again, just waiting for some stuff. So I will be there around the last weekend of January. So uh, if you are more of a local person to Chad, um, I will be out there and hopefully Chad and I will be able to hang out in person some more. Oh and, my God,
0: plan on it. <laughs>
3: um, Cause more than likely I will be there for about a week and a half. So I'll be there for a while. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm hoping to uh, maybe do like some cosplay photo shoots out in the snow and um, again, if it's, I'm assuming it's Utah in January, I'm sure. Everybody so.
0: goes to the Salt Flats for their, for their photo shoots. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, but anyway, so uh, please come find me. Uh, I, if, again, I'm a huge X-Men fan. Um, I have uh, a Thorn look coming. Uh, I literally just got Uniscony, uh, an Acolytes uniform. Um, so like, I have that look coming. And, uh, but my big build is more DC Comics related, which is Big Barda.
0: Uh, Oh, fantastic. Uh, I can't wait to see what all of you are doing coming forward. Thank you all for the gift of your time and talents tonight. Thank you for everybody for listening. We will see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, It's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Gray Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane.